Hello and welcome to Can I Get a Picture? I'm your host, Soul Love Mom. Join me as I get to pick the brains of some extraordinary people, hearing their struggles and successes that have shaped who they are today. Today we're talking to British tennis star Heather Watson. She's currently ranked number 50 in the world and her record boasts four WTA titles, including the mixed doubles title at Wimbledon 2016 and the Mexican Open 2020. I was fortunate enough to meet Heather early on in her career, and we've remained great friends ever since. She's an incredible athlete who wears her heart on her sleeve and a fierce competitor. I hope you enjoy our conversation filled with humor, insights, and interesting perspective. Thank you, Heather, for coming on today. I mean, I've known you since probably the end of time now. I can't even remember when we met. It's been so long. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to see you progress in your career, which as a friend is always an amazing thing, you know, to see someone you care about and someone you're close to do so well. So I'm very grateful that you're joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Saul. Um, I'm glad that I could make it onto your podcast and like you said I don't even remember when we first met now years and years ago but I'm so glad I've got you in my life we've had many good times together and plenty more to come where I wanted to start is number one to obviously everyone who'd be listening even to yourself I think you must pinch yourself when you look at just how much you've achieved you know when I was just kind of doing a bit more like in-depth research it's crazy to think you know you've already got four WTA titles um you've been ranked I think it was 38 before now you're back at number 50 in the world you know you'll you'll win um the mixed doubles title at Wimbledon and recently obviously the Mexican Open in Alcapulco <laughs> I was Alcapulco yeah <laughs> I always pronounce that so badly, but yeah, you know, you know where I'm getting at. And um, you must, surely you must sit back sometimes and pinch yourself just to, you know, take stock of just how much you've achieved at still such a very young age. It's funny because I never really look back at what I've achieved. I sort of am always looking ahead and, you know, I always think to myself, it's quite negative actually, but you know, you need to do better you need to get your ranking up you need to win more matches um you know I need I want to get another title I want to do get further in a grand slam so I often don't look back and it's it can have a negative effect on me sometimes so I have those people around me to remind me of what I have done and um keep me positive and show me how much I've achieved already because I don't actually register it for some reason which is a a strange thing but that's just how my mind works I like that though because I guess as you said it always keeps you with something to chase you know if you never look back as they say sometimes it is a good thing just to focus on what's in front of you because you know you are going to go through highs and lows but you know you've really progressed especially in the last I would say in the last few years just seeing everything you've been through you know even from the Serena Williams match which everyone still talks about to this day which we'll touch on but and going forward to now where you're ranked in the world and there's I think recently we had a conversation and you even were saying that 
you really feel, you know, like you found your feet again and you're, you know, moving in the right direction to where you want to be. Yeah, absolutely. So about a year ago, I started to find my feet again because the the one or two years before that, I'd sort of really lost confidence in myself um, on and off the court. And, you know, my results weren't as good as they had been the rest of my career. I'd always been around the 50 mark at least. And I dropped to around 90 to about just outside the top 100, you know, in and out. Um, because rankings change every week and you know I was really struggling then with confidence I wasn't sure what I was doing so wrong where I got so lost but um, you know I started really working on myself and being happy and being surrounded by the right people and just was was selfish with my time and found my feet again and then everything changed on the court and some people can separate their personal lives and their professional lives but for me and I think for most athletes it's very hard to separate it and and you can maybe for a short amount of time but in the long term you need to have you know those support groups a good set of friends good family um to help you because you can't do it on your own yeah I can imagine as well being an individual sport that is tough I wanted to ask you to take me back really to kind of the start of your journey so let's talk about early life where were you born and raised what was life like growing up um well I was born on a little island called Guernsey which is in the Channel Islands just Mm -hmm. off the south of England um for the people that don't know it's 12 by 9 miles and there's about 65,000 people that live on it so it's very small everyone knows everyone and even if you don't you probably know someone who knows that person yeah um and i had a great childhood i went to melrose school there and then on to ladies college and at 12 years old I moved away to Florida to pursue my tennis career and went to school there. So then I went to school from 12 till 18 in America at a very multicultural school and played tennis there. It was a big step up from what I'd been doing in Guernsey. And um, I loved it. I absolutely loved, I, I loved school in Guernsey. I loved school in Florida um I've had the perfect childhood I've got two very supportive parents I'm the only child from them together but I do have half um siblings from both sides um and yeah it was I cannot complain about my childhood I loved it and how did the decision come about for you to move to Florida at 12 because that's such an early age make such a big decision so there must have been quite uh, quite an influence for that decision to be made I assume it was probably your parents who ultimately helped you make that decision yeah so at, at um, nine ten years old I was starting to you know do really well in tennis I was one of the top ranked players in the UK and 
I, I did lots of other sports. I didn't do just tennis at that age. I did tennis, swimming, dancing, lots of different things. And one day my dad sat me down and asked me if I, you know, what were my favorite sports to do? And I told him it, that it was swimming and tennis. And he said, well, if you had to do one, and would you like to do one for career? And I said, yes, this was all at 11 years old. My dad's very on it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> I like it. and I said, I said tennis. And he said, oh, that's a great answer because that's probably the one you could have the best career in. Then he said, asked me what I would think about going to a different school other than the one I went to in Guernsey. Um, maybe in England or in Florida. And I said, I was so up for it. I was really excited for that. And, you know, some children at that age might be scared to leave their friends and stuff like that. But I just had no fear whatsoever. I can remember it. Just, just pure excitement. Um, so we went to visit all these schools. And at the end, he asked me which one was my favorite. And I told him the one in Florida. So, so that's how it went. He literally helped me make a massive decision and left it totally up to me at such a young age. Um, and I really appreciate that and so glad that I made that decision. You're now in Florida. You, you, you were there from 12 to 18. How did you find growing up in America, like the culture versus obviously Guernsey in the UK? Because to me, you're still, although you, your schooling was there, you're still very British. You don't, you haven't really Americanized in any way, shape or form. So. Yeah. I mean, it is very different, um, especially the school that I went to compared to the one I went to in Guernsey. For example, in Guernsey, I could only speak if I put my hand up and the teacher called on me to speak or ask a question in Florida you can call out to the teacher whenever you want and call them whatever you want. So some people even called their teacher teacher rather than <laughs> Mrs. Brown or whatever it was, or it was just a lot more laid back. And even the uniform was laid back. We just had to wear the t-shirt with the, the school patch on it. And then that was it in Florida. And then in, in Guernsey, I literally was kitted out down to my underwear in the school uniform <laughs> so um yeah I think going to school in Florida especially the one I went to you know an international sports school with all these different sports all these children from all over you know I'm very cultured I know how a lot of different countries you know I know a lot of like bits of languages I know how yeah people are from those countries and I think the reason why I haven't lost me and being the way I am and brought up in the UK um, is because my roommate was also English and is still my best friend today so um, her name's Nicola Reynolds and we went there together from the first year and we we were roommates the first four years. And you spoke also about your dad being very on it. I read something um, that said that your dad opened a savings account for you when you were young. So I just wanted you to speak about, you know, when you first learned about money, what that experience was like. Yeah, I am very blessed and grateful to have my dad because he's a very smart man. 
and he's pretty much worked his way up in life from nothing. Um, you know, he was living in council house with his mum and his brother, and then he became the boss of Guernsey Electricity, and that's where he retired. But um, he's taught me about money from a very young age. He opened me one of those children's super saver accounts um, when I was 10 years old. And being like my dad, I'm very thrifty. I love saving because I like the big purchases like homes and cars and things like that. Mm-hmm. I've always got my eye on stuff like that. And yeah, he's, he's taught me everything really. And he helps me today uh, with all my, he's, he's my accountant cause he's an accountant by trade. So that's very handy. Oh yeah, for sure. So he, keep, uh... <laughs> keep it in the family. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, he's brilliant. He's taught me everything I know. Can he do my taxes? <laughs> <laughs> I need help. <laughs> we'll talk. We'll talk about that another time. But um, whilst um, so obviously you've gone to Florida, you're there till you're eighteen. Um, when does your junior career start? So my junior career started around fourteen years old. I'd say I started to playing. I started playing the international events. So mm-hmm. the ITFs is what you call them. Yeah, where you get ranking points and and all of that, and I traveling to different countries to try and get my ranking up and I did that until I was 17 and my ranking got to number three in the world and I won the junior US Open and that's when I had a big decision to make whether I was going to turn professional or go to college in the states and I hadn't really overthought it until then because you know, um, college in America is an incredible opportunity. With being an athlete, you can get your whole education paid for on scholarship. And uh, the colleges there are just incredible. So till that point, I'm, a, I'm very realistic. I was thinking I was going to college and maybe play a year or two there, then try and go professional because then you can always go back to college later. Um But the problem is I was approached by management companies. And if you do sign with a management company, you are not eligible for a scholarship at a college. So I was approached by quite a few after I won the US Open and sat down with my dad again and had a, a conversation about what I wanted to do. Again, he left he left it all up to me to decide and I said to him I said well if I don't go for it now you know I'll I don't want to regret it if I want to go to college I can go to college later and I'll just pay for it but going professional you can't go back in time and make up those years that you've missed and those crucial years at 17 18 19 um, so I told him that and he was like, I couldn't agree more. So that's when we decided to sign with IMG Management. I'm actually still with them today mm-hmm. and I went professional. It was the, the, the right decision. So obviously you've had this big decision to make to turn pro. You've decided to do it. How would you say that helps you in terms of, you know, coping mechanisms for pressure, right? Because as you, as you've just said there, to make such a decision at such a young age is huge. And a lot of people would struggle in that position. Then to go from, go from that 
to then going into the pros, which is another different beast because this is something totally new to you. What would you say are some of the things that have helped you over the years in terms of coping with stress and like pressure? Um, well, making that decision wasn't hard for me. So mm-hmm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I felt a lot of pressure with that. But when you start playing and you start from the bottom and you realize, you know, this is, this is everybody's paychecks now, you know, people don't just give up in matches like they do in juniors. This is the real deal. That's when the pressure sets in and, you know, you have to pay for your hotels, you have to pay for your flights, your coaches, you know, it's an expensive sport to try and make it in. So that's when I really started feeling the pressure, you know, because I have to pay for all these things. I think I deal with pressure a lot better now than I did when I was young. Mm-hmm. When I'd lose a match, it would be the end of the world to me. Um, but now that I'm older, I realize, you know, there's another week, another opportunity every week in tennis because there's a tournament every single week, pretty much of the year. And I used to. Tennis players will understand this maybe more, I think. But if there was a, you know, it was time to close out a match or it was a really important, crucial point, you know, there's always nerves. It's just how you deal with it. And when I was younger, I was, I would turn to defense and I would be scared of missing rather than, you know, taking my opportunity and being aggressive and trying to hit a winner so that's how I used to play when I was younger and it's taken me years to to change my mindset and and become the other way but I'm so glad I am and it took a lot of time and mental strength to do that but now I'm someone who goes out and gets it rather than hopes for it if you know what I mean when you went into the pros who did you look up to or who did you base your game around Well, growing up at a very young age, watching tennis on TV, the Williams sisters were definitely my idols. But as I got older, I just, I sort of picked apart people's games and just emulated certain strokes from certain players Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you like certain strokes better from different people and not, not the whole package. Well, that was me personally. Um, And I think I played, I was often compared to Martina Hingis, her style of play and and that because I'm actually one of the smaller tennis players at just under 5'7", which is quite tall in in normal life, but in (laughs) tennis I'm I'm a shorty. Um, So I would use my movement to my advantage and a lot of slice drop shots and and variety in my game so I sort of would say I modeled myself on Martina Hingis nice yeah I did read I did read about your footwork to be fair there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of great press on everyone raves about how your footwork is incredible and just how you <laughs> like no one else and I'm um, going yeah. back to you, earlier you said about you like the big purchases, you said houses, cars. So what was the first, what was the first thing you bought when you got your first big paycheck in tennis? Honestly, I'd have to say it was probably my first apartment. And that was at 23 years old. 
so the so the year that I played Serena, I got the keys after my first round match at Wimbledon that year. Oh wow! Okay. So I think that was 2015, um, and that was my first big purchase. I'd say I didn't really buy anything big before that because, like I said, um, um, I don't really spend money on other things. It's just mainly it would be like you said homes cars or or like a holiday or something yeah and also I love that you mentioned the Serena Williams Wimbledon 2015 obviously that's one of the I would say it was a huge moment in your career because it I feel like that match really showed just how good you were if anyone had ever doubted and said oh yeah Heather's good but we don't know if she's the real deal I think in that match you proved not only to yourself but to the world that okay this girl's here and she's here to stay if you if you weren't paying attention before now's the time to 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 dial in you know and you were within a couple points really of beating her talk me through that that experience because I've I've been fortunate enough to watch you many a time and it's always crazy because as your friend I'm like sat there and I just think how the hell does this girl deal with the Mm -hmm. pressure there's all these fans there's people talking and you're just like tunnel vision it's almost like you can't hear or see anything around you but your opponent yeah well that match like I said when I was younger Serena was was one of the people I really looked up to um and then to play her for the first time at Wimbledon on centre court it was just like triple whammy so I to say I was nervous that's probably the most nervous I've ever been before a match because Serena for me is the best player of all time in the female game and I absolutely love how she plays tennis I think her technique her movement she's the full package and if I'm honest I just wanted to get a game (laughs) at the beginning of the match I just wanted to get on the board (laughs) yeah Uh, um, and then as soon as I got that first game I was settled for sure because I was thinking, at least I'm not going to lose six love, six love here. But then as the match went on, you just realised that everybody's human. Everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's, you know, superhuman. So I was like, come on, Hev, you've got this. And, and it was the third round of Wimbledon. And if I won that match, I'd be beating Serena in my home country at my home slam and I'd be making the second week of a grand slam, which is one of my goals. So, you know, I I had a lot to gain by winning this match, more than a lot. And the crowd still to this day, that's the most exciting, best support I've ever had in my life on a tennis court. And I just got goosebumps after every point. And I think, like you said, uh, you know, nobody expected me to even come close at all to Serena in that match. And fair enough, you know, it, her history shows what an incredible player she is. Yeah. And mine is nothing in comparison. So when I was two points away from winning that match, serving for it, you know, I just think everybody was just going crazy, just having the best time supporting the home girl and you know nobody expected that so that's what makes sports so exciting and so fun and you know anything can happen anyone can win on their day so I'm so 
pleased it went like it did. Obviously, I wish I would have won that match and got over that last hurdle, but that's what makes her a true champion. And, you know, uh, I know what I'd do next time if I got the chance and I'd just properly go for it. Yeah, no, I'm sure. But you did, I think you did make a lot of people proud that day and and you really probably inspired millions of kids out there as well who play tennis to think okay as you said Serena is one of the greats of the game and you pushed her to her limits for her to win that match you know it's not like it was a walk in the park she had to work super super hard um yeah yeah and I I also had so many messages from people not just saying how proud they were but um that I've inspired them to pick up a tennis racket for the first time or go and play tennis that next day. And that's what it's all about, really, uh, inspiring people to to do that thing. And that's when it really hit me that I I made such an impact on so many people that day. Yeah, and, you know, talking about um, impact, diversity in tennis is obviously uh, a huge topic which has been discussed, I mean for years and years and years right that you know to come up in to to play tennis first and foremost you have to almost come from privilege to be able to afford you know the lessons everything else that comes with you know being at the top of the game what's your view on young people who have the aspiration of playing professional tennis but let's say may come from humble beginnings for me it would be anything is possible and you know, with tennis, you can, you need a racket and a ball and you need someone to hit with and you can go down to any court and play. I mean, right now the weather's amazing and the park courts are always full because right now I'm actually hitting in the park Mm -hmm. every day and I love it. And, um, it's very easy to book courts and, you know, if you are good and that's what it's, it's something you want to do and you keep trying to pursue it, you know, you will get help by sponsors and if you do you know attract some attention people will help you know me from a young age I was very lucky um in that in the early years I was with the LTA and the Lawn Tennis Association yeah and um Roger Draper was the man in charge at the time and he really supported me in my decision to go to Florida and you know without them at the time I wouldn't have been able to do that um it was it was their support at that time that really helped um and you know everybody needs a bit of help like like I was saying you can't do it on your own so yeah just if it's what you want to do do everything you can and it's very possible there are ways I know a lot of people that don't have much money but are able to make it work I know also the equal pay conversation was you know bubbling for years and then eventually and correct me if I'm wrong I know now that all the grand slams the men and the women are paid equally but then there's still some tournaments that still have a bit of a pay gap is that correct yes that is correct how do you see that changing because fans support women as much as they do as men in tennis? Yeah, well, I think, firstly, the the Grand Slams, the four Grand Slams in the year have equal pay, like you said. They're all run by the ITF, the International Tennis Federation. 
-hmm. And then the rest of the year, all the tournaments are run by either the ATP, which is for the men, or the WTA, which is for the women. And they're two separate um, governing bodies. So um, it's tough because I think absolutely at Grand Slams, it should be equal pay. When you buy your ticket to go and watch tennis at a Grand Slam, there are both men and women playing and you are watching both and there is no way to to show who's watching more men than women and at mixed events when there is a WTA and an ATP being run together for example the Madrid Open is a mixed event with both men and women I think the same it should be equal pay I think events where you know, you have an ATP going on in Germany and then a WTA going on in Thailand. I think it's hard to say we deserve equal there because, you know, it depends It depends how much people are paying for each TV rights separately or yeah. um, who's paying for tickets to come and watch. It's those events where uh, I think it should just be, you know, a percentage of what what you make, what the players should be getting. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Once you've explained, see, I, I didn't know that information either in, in regards to how all the tournaments work. But from a business standpoint, you are completely right that they would have to look at it on a case by case basis rather than trying to have one uniform approach, which might not work for, for every tournament. That's what I think should happen. But but that's not what happens <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> on, on, the, on the WTA and ATP tour. It's like you said, it's men are paid more than women. So, you know, that's that's what I think should happen. No, I'm, I, I support that completely. Here's a bit of a funny question. Who's like the most in every sport? There's always there's always a few individuals who stand out on this. Who's an interesting character you've met in tennis? You didn't who did, you didn't expect to be like that. I'll tell you the funny ones. Yeah, um, I think. On the men's side, there's a French player called Benoit Pair, and yeah. I think he's really kooky crazy. He's actually just dyed his hair pink, and he's got this full-on facial beard, and he's just, I just find him really funny, and especially on court. He's so, he's French, and he's just so emotional, and I think he's super fun to watch. And on the women's side, um is a Russian, oh, actually, she plays for Australia now. Um, Her name's Daria Gavrilova, and she is just, if you follow either of them on social media, you'll just think, oh, my goodness, they've lost their minds. I just (laughs) think they're both hilarious. I mean, you haven't been doing a a bad job yourself on TikTok. You've been keeping us (laughs) (laughs) during this lockdown. And... um, who would you say, I know we spoke about Serena earlier, but who would you say the toughest opponent you've faced thus far? Apart from Serena, I would say on the day would definitely be Victoria Azarenka. Um, when I played her, she was number one in the world at the time. I played her three times that year. And yeah. she was on a 27-match win streak. And I played her three times within that 27-match win streak. Oh, no. And she... So she was in probably the best form of her life. So I would say definitely Victoria Azarenka. And I was going to say career highlight, but I think it's hard for you probably to pick one moment because you've had so many. But what would you say, give me like a top three career highlights? 
My top three would be winning my first WTA title in Osaka, Japan, because、mm-hmm. that feeling was just the last tournament of the year. I made it into the top 50 for the first time and I won the match being three match points down. So that was huge for me.、Uh, second would be winning the mixed doubles at Wimbledon because, I mean, any Wimbledon title, you're taking it. So.、Yeah. That was definitely one of the best days of my life. And third would be、um, competing in London 2020 in the Olympics. 20, no, you, you oh, sorry, 2012. 2012. Listen, I know, I know there's a lot going on in the world right now, but you had me. <laughs> Tell me a guilty pleasure purchase you can't stop buying, whether it's, I know earlier you spoke about like, Obviously, property, cars, but, but what's like something that you just can't stop buying a guilty pleasure, whether it's clothes, food? Oh my gosh. Well, it's either those, those one pound kettle chips, sour cream and chive, I think it is, <laughs> from Tesco's. Yeah. Or, or, or you can get them anywhere.、Um, or, oh my gosh, prawn crackers as well. I love a prawn cracker.、Um, and then just honestly, Clothes, but I always buy going out clothes and I hardly ever go out. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what it is, but I just love like dressy up clothes. So I've got loads of them and I probably go out like five times to five to ten times in a year. If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready, right? Exactly. <laughs> also, also to everyone listening, Tesco's will get the invoice for that, Heather, for your plug. We'll be charging, we'll be charging for that small fee. Um, <laughs> um, I know obviously we've spoken in the past about investing. Obviously, you've spoken about property, but I know you also invest in companies.、Um, and way back when we spoke about Fever Tree at the time, what are kind of your determining factors when you're looking to invest in, in a said company? What do you look for? For me, it's just, you know, I'm in no rush. I just wait and I see something. Um, you know, Financial Times or wherever it is in the news of a company. And I'm a long term investor, so I get things for the long run and something that I think will grow big. So, as, a, as an example,、um, social media is huge in our generation. I remember when Instagram first came out, and I was very young at The time, but I remember saying to my dad, Dad, Instagram is the new Facebook, it's going to be huge. So I looked to invest in it, but you couldn't at the time, so that was a shame.、Um, but just things, yeah, things I think that are going to grow big and just you know what everybody's looking for, really. All right, best investment you've made thus far. Money wise, I'd just have to go with my property because, for example, in London, it's, it's never going to lose its value. I think it can only really go up. And also in Guernsey, it's my home. It's always going to be my home. And I have my house there now. And it's, I absolutely love it.、Um, yeah. You also spoke earlier about surrounding yourself with the right people and the impact, obviously, it's had on your career. Your newfound love for the game now, even with your win in Mexico. So, tell me a bit about that. Obviously, I'm sure you've had some negative experiences of people around you, and now everything's positive and going in the right direction. So, just kind of give me a, 
kind of overview on both sides of how you see it and how it's played out well for you? Yeah, I um I think it's just so important for me in particular, um, being who I am, to have such a good support system and have good people around me and people who truly support me and make me better in my career because it's an individual sport. It's really tough out there. You need those people you can trust, you can talk to about anything and everything. And I'm so lucky and I'm so rich in friends that um, it's, it's really helped me in my career. And, you know, I have that life away from tennis. I know a lot of tennis players, they only have friends in tennis. And even then, they're not real friends. And something I'd consider a real friend is someone you can literally tell everything to, someone who's loyal to you and someone you can trust. And mm-hmm. I have plenty of people like that in my life. So I'm so grateful for that. And obviously, like I said earlier, I have two incredible parents. Um, I've got my dad, who's who's the one who pushes me, the real business sort of minded one, um, the pushy one. And then I've got my mum, who's the laid back one, the one who who supports me. He'll do the the grind of traveling with me all over the world and and the long hours and days spent away. And, you know, I, there was a time, like I said, a, a few years back where I just had negative people around me and it really affected my confidence. It really, you know, I took a hit um, emotionally and mentally. And that affected my results on the court. So now I've got, I've still got all my great, amazing friends. I have a, a boyfriend now who really supports me and builds me up and is super relaxed because I can be quite um, highly strung sometimes <laughs> and stressy when it comes to my sport. So he's amazing. And yeah, I'm in a really good place right now. And I, I have a lot of, um hope and and positive feelings about the future and in my tennis career yeah and I think also your new relationship has also kind of coincided with your newfound love for tennis and your form on court you know your voice everything sounds different you just sound like you're you're you feel whole and it's just in a completely different space right now yeah I I I couldn't agree more you've just nailed it there but he yeah, Courtney, he he's so relaxed, but he just builds me up and he lets me be me, but like he also makes me be the best version of myself as well. So I think, yeah, right now I am the best version of myself and that's why I was able to climb from 120 in the world to top 50 after winning Acapulco um within you know six to eight months and since meeting him and like you said I am I'm just I'm just happy all the time nothing gets me down I'm relaxed I I don't rush things I'm yeah I'm 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 really pleased with who I am today to me you've always been the same you've always had your feet on the ground you've always been because you know sometimes people people have friends in high places or play sport and it's like oh you've changed you're not the same but I feel like from day one from when I met you I till this day I know I can still pick up the phone and talk to you we message even when you're on 
at all, you'll still reply back to me and say, hey, really sorry, I was at training. Da, 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 da. You know, you always make, for me, one thing I appreciate, you always make time and effort for the people around you and the people you care about. And I hope that stays the same and never changes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will always, always respond. It may not be straight away, but I would never not respond to a message. And um, I think my morals will never change. That will always stay the same. Um, whether, you know, I, I, I always like to think that I grow as a person and I change in that sense, but my morals I, will never change. If they were going to change, they would have changed by now. So what would you say what's next for you what's the what's the goal what's the target for heather in the next five years yeah i think five years is a good a good marker i am well i've been on a roll at the moment winning a lot more matches than i've been losing won another wta title rankings been shooting up so my goals are to go a lot deeper in the grand slams i want to beat my career high of 38 and I want to keep beating that. I don't want to just stop there. And another Grand Slam title in any way, shape or form would be very welcome. Um, and Tokyo 2020 was um, a goal of mine. And actually, I think I'd made it mm-hmm. now if it was going ahead when it was. But because of what's happened in the coronavirus and stuff, I'm not sure where that leaves me. But I think I should be okay because they're freezing the rankings and stuff. Yeah. But to compete in my third Olympics would, would be a massive goal of mine as well. For me, I wish for you as a friend is I can't wait to see you. We need you Wimbledon, centre court, women's final. Yeah, that's the ticket. That's the... Oh, yes. <laughs> that's the dream that'll be one of the best days of my life genuinely honestly oh, <laughs> so i'm praying i'm praying for that moment um any hidden talents we don't know about i don't think i have any <laughs> i can do the worm but i feel like lots of people can do that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah i don't think that one counts <laughs> <laughs> if you had to self-isolate with one tennis player who would it be and why oh my god Oh, yeah, as you can tell, that's not my first choice. I would isolate, do you know what? I'd isolate with Serena Williams. <laughs> See how she lives. Yeah, no, I think it's a good choice. What, what about if, you, if, it was, if we flip the question on his head, who wouldn't you isolate with? Most of the tennis <laughs> players. You're like, look, we'll just put everyone in a box. It makes it easier to answer that question. As you know, the podcast is called Can I Get a Picture? So who is the one person that inspires you that you would love to have your picture taken with and why? So many people inspire me in different ways. Do you know what? I'm just going to throw a curveball at you here and I'm going to say I'd love my picture with Little Mix because what then <laughs> yeah because of the, the <laughs> sorry before you finish what you're gonna say guys don't take this i have nothing against little mix i think they're a great band but the reason why i said what is just because with everyone else... <laughs> okay carry on <laughs> honestly i had literally 50 names in my head but i'm gonna i had to pick one so i'm gonna go with little mix because i'm all about like girls standing together women standing together Mm -hmm. strong talented all of those girls can sing so often in bands and groups you've only got that one person 
that that is is talented and has a, a voice or or you know the the star and with little mix i just i just love that they're they're all equal they've all got the great voices they all support each other they're all friends so that's why thanks again to heather for taking the time to chat with me and thank you all for listening if you enjoyed the show please leave us a review be sure to follow us on Instagram, Can I Get a Picture Pod? And we'll be back again next week with another episode.